Uh, today, I'm going to read out of the Common English Bible version, and um, it will be on the screen for you as well. So, is it okay if we just carve out a little, just some time to read God's Scripture? Is that okay today? Because we're going to read a lot, and I think that's important today. I, I think there are some churches that they don't crack God's Word ever. And so I want people to know that at this church, we're going to crack God's, God's word open, amen, and see what it has for us. So we're going to read uh, quite a bit of scripture today, so stay with me. Feel free to say amen where, where, where you feel like God is speaking to you today. And so we're just going to jump in right here at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So then from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards, even though we used to know Christ by human standards. That isn't how we know him now. So then if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away. And look, new things have arrived. All these things, all these new things are from God who reconciled. Everyone say reconciled who reconciled us, you and me, to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and giving us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. And everyone says, amen. Now, that was pretty pedestrian if you think about what a sinner you are. So he's saying he has given us, God was reconciling us uh, to himself, not counting our sins against us. And God's people said, there we go. And, and, and in this part right here, you need to underline this, highlight this in the Bible app, however you want to do it. It says, after all of that, after he talks about reconciling us through his son, Jesus Christ, he says to us now, he says, he has trusted us with this message. Right? So Jesus Christ, this is Theology 101, Jesus is not here in this room with us. He's in heaven right now. The Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father, okay? And so the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is here with us. But, but Jesus is in heaven, and when he left, he says, what was given to me, now I give it to you. Right? And so we're going to talk about in a few moments, those of us that are parents or no matter who we are, now it's our job to give it to the next generation. And they're going to give it to the next generation. Amen. So he says, he has entrusted us. He has trusted us. You ever trusted somebody with something very important? Yeah. You ever done that? And it's kind of like that half trust. You're like, here, I trust you, but I kind of don't trust you, but I trust you. Don't break this. Don't hurt this. Don't wreck this. Don't destroy this. Don't burn it down. Whatever. I trust it to you. So Christ trusts us with us. Verse 20. So we are ambassadors who represent Jesus Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God because God calls us the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Can we just stop and give God an applause and a praise for that? Think about that. He says, God calls Jesus. He calls Jesus, he calls the one who didn't know what sin was to become sin for our sake so that you and I will never have to understand what the punishment of sin really is. That is a big deal, church. He says, since we work together with him, we are also begging you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He says, I listened to you at, at the right time and it helped you on the day of salvation. Look, now is the right time. Look, now is the day of salvation. 
And we don't give anyone any reason to be offended about anything so that our ministry won't be criticized. Instead, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in every way. So I'm going to skip through verses 5, 6, 7, 8, lay them straight, 9, 10, a big fan hand. We're going to keep going into verse 11. He says, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you, and our hearts are wide open. There are no limits to the affection that we feel for you. I want you to highlight this next part in verse 12. He says, you are the ones who place boundaries on your affection for us. He says, you are the ones that put boundaries on your own affection. And we're going to come back to this. He says, but as fair trade, I'm talking to you like you are children. Open your hearts wide as well. God, we thank you for your scripture, your scripture, your scripture. This is your word. We've read out loud back to you, to, to our ears, what your word says. You said in Revelation many times that he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. So I pray with everyone with the sound of my voice, those who may listen to this podcast sometime later, as I hear your word, it will do what it was sent to do. It will accomplish what it was sent to do. It will be successful in what it was sent to do. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. God's people said amen. You know, I was thinking about this scripture. There's a lot happening here. There's a lot as Paul is talking to the early church. As he's talking to them and he's just writing this letter to them. By the way, all of Paul's, like, the epistles of Paul, they're letters to churches. Like, to little churches that existed, much like you and I. Now, they didn't have buildings like this. Most of them met in underground homes. They were being persecuted. They were being chased. They were being afflicted. So most of them met underground. They were hiding as they met. A lot of them were in the New Testament church. And so, um, as they were meeting, Paul was writing these letters to them to address certain issues, to talk to them about certain things that came back to him from, from his disciples, those that followed him, and those that were under his care, Timothy and others. And so, he's writing and he's addressing many, many things. And he's, so he's writing to them here in second Corinthians, his second letter to the, to the church at Corinth. And as he's talking to them, he's, he's saying many, many things. And, and of all that he says, that is really, really important. All of it is, but in verse 12, he says, uh, there are no limits to the affection that we feel for you. You are the ones who place boundaries on your affection for us. And if we go back to the early part of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and as it enters 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about the gospel being passed on, being like the torch being passed. And there's two type of believers that I want to speak to in the house today. The first type of believer is a believer that's a pioneer. Now, if you're here today and you're sitting there and you're looking at me and you're listening to me, or don't be checking the football scores because Cowboys, God's team don't start till 3.30. So, anyway. Des Bryant's back today, by the way. So, miracles do happen in Jesus' name. Amen. But, that's a big miracle, right? <laughs> great God, great things. Anyway, so, so, as Paul is talking to the early church, he's saying the gospel has to be passed on. So, for the pioneer in the room, so if you're here today, and you're a pioneer, meaning that you're the first in your family to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're the pioneer, right? If you look behind you in your past and you don't see anyone else who ever taught you about Christ, like you're literally the first one to find Jesus Christ and raise up a family in, in the knowledge of God. Can we just applaud you? Will you raise your hand all across this place? Come on, come on. Let's see your hands. Wow. Want some in the back? Some over here. Anyone else? Come on, come on. Awesome. Very cool. Being a pioneer is a big deal. 
That's pretty cool. You know, I think about some of the pioneers, like the early settlers of, that came to America. I think about um, the early immigrants who came over on ships and who settled the early colonies, who fled the tyranny of Britain. And I look back at that, and I, I thank God that there were men and women who had some, who had some bravery, who had some, some guts to step out from England's tyranny and come over to America and settle the early 13 colonies, which we now know as 50 states of the United States. Amen? Like, I mean, America is a great place. And it's because of, yeah, it's because of men and women decided to flee tyranny, religious persecution, and they wanted a, a say in how government goes. Can you imagine that? Amen. They wanted to say how their government would run. What a novel idea. And so, and so they came over here, they came to this new land, and they settled America and, and fought the early wars so that we could have freedom today. That's a, that's a pioneer. That's a big deal. I think about my uh, my great grandpa, who I didn't know, but my grandma's father, and he, I've read through some of his diary that he actually had published, and and I was looking for it this week. I couldn't find it because I wanted to read it to you, but as as I read it before. Um, he talks about what it was like coming across the Midwest as they left California and they began to settle in the West. He talked about the wagon that they rode on and how a wheel fell off and, and uh, how they had to rebuild this wheel. And I mean, a life that I'll never know, you'll never know. But someone who was brave enough to hop in their wagon and head off from California. People are still leaving California. They were doing it then, they're doing it today. But at any rate, and they're coming to Texas, right? They're coming to the Midwest and to settle, pioneers. I want to put some pioneers on the screen and share with you just a little bit about pioneers, people in our, in our country who have had an impact on us today. In 1832, John Chavis was an African-American soldier in the Continental Army. And many, many African-American soldiers were either forced to serve in the Continental Army, like because they were slaves, they were forced to serve. But, but, but this particular one went on to, to be known in history and he says, tell them that if I am black, I am free-born American and a revolutionary soldier and therefore ought not to be thrown entirely out of the scale of notice. But it goes on to say that he spent three years in the 5th Virginia Regiment. After the war, he won fame as a minister and teacher of both black and white students in Raleigh, North Carolina. William Barrett Buck Travis. Many remember the Alamo, Right. This is where he died. He, he went on to write in his letter as he requested more soldiers, I shall never surrender or retreat. Then I call on you in the name of, the, in the name of liberty, of patriotism, and everything dear to American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving in reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or 400,000 in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country, victory or death. Rosa Parks is well known for for forgiving uh, forgive, for, for for not willing to give up her seat in Alabama during a terrible time of segregation in our country. On and on, people, people throughout our nation, our nation's history from beginning to where we are now, there have always been pioneers, people who are willing to do something that no one else is ever willing to do, to go to a place someone is never willing to go. Are you still with me today, Crossroads family? Now let's move on to the book of Acts and the early church. Some of the disciples, let me tell you how they died, these early pioneers. Peter died in Rome. 
hung upside down on a cross, unworthy to die the same as Christ. Andrew also died on a cross. However, historians believe it to be an X-shaped cross, something the Grecians employed. Matthew died in Ethiopia. It was there that he was staked or impaled to earth by spears and the beheaded. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, died in Armenia. He was basically flayed to death by a whip where he was torn to shreds. Thomas died in India when he was stabbed with a spear and died from the womb. Philip was impaled by iron hooks in his ankles and hung upside down, left to die and bleed to death. James, not the brother of Jesus, is thought to be uh, beheaded by King Herod near Palestine, not far from where he was a missionary to local Jews in Judea. Jude was crucified in Persia. Matthias was the apostle that was replaced uh, when when, uh, Judas hung himself. He was stoned and beheaded in the late first century. John is the only one uh, who who died of natural death uh, by old age. He was in prison on the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. A pioneer. To all the pioneers in the room, I want to say good for you. Well done. Way to go. Congratulations. I believe that the God of the universe, the architect of creation, is applauding you every day because you're doing what no one else in your family has ever done. You've put your foot down and you said, for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Amen? And as a pioneer, you are like a river that carves slowly through a canyon. Holly and I had the pleasure of last year of driving to the Grand Canyon with our kids, and it was amazing. It was spectacular. I just want to encourage you, if you've never been, you've got to go see what God has done. Just the beautiful things that he has painted and he has made for us. And God caused the Colorado River millions of years ago to begin to go through rock. And this, what started as a small stream of river or, 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 or water, is now a mighty river, and it carved through this canyon what we now know as the Grand Canyon. And for a pioneer in the room, that's what you're doing. It may seem insignificant at the time. It may seem like no one is watching. It may seem like it's not counting. And it may seem like what you're doing is very hard. But can I tell you to keep going? Be like that steady stream of water as it hits the rock and you just drive and you drive and you drive because you never know if God tarries another generation or another generation or three or four generations from now, they'll look back on you and they'll make stand in a pulpit like I'm standing today. And they say, it was because of my great grandpa back in 2015 who I never knew or my great uncle or my grandpa or my mom or my dad decided to follow Jesus Christ. And here I am today because of someone that decided, come on, give God a praise, to follow after God. There's another type of Christian in the house today that you're like me, that you're a torch bearer. We have pioneers who are doing what no one has ever done before, and then we have torch bearers. You have people like me. You have people like Holly. I'm here today because my parents served the Lord and they made a way for me. Because my dad's parents, my mom's parents served and made a way for the Lord. Because their parents and, and so forth. Are you with me today, church? Because someone somewhere along the lineage of Thrasher or Zingelman decided to follow the Lord. So we're a torchbearer. Write this down if you're taking notes. It'll be on the screen. The, genera- the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is only one generation away from extinction. Ask the Israelites. 
the Bible says if you go back in the Old Testament, you can read many, many times where it said there would be decade after decades of generation of Israelites who never even knew the Lord. Didn't know what it was like to know, didn't even know the name of God. Didn't, never even heard his name before. And the, to the torchbearers in the room, I want to tell you that you need to be ready to pass that torch to someone who's ready to receive it. And it is our job and it is our responsibility to raise up someone behind us, not take for granted that just because we bring our kids to church, right? Like Brother Heflin used to say all the time, he was drugged as a kid. He was drugged to church. So was I. You know, as a preacher's kid, you don't have the luxury of missing. If you're sick, you suck it up and you get to church. And that's just how it was. You know, we're throwing up as we came to church. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Like, demons out, you know, whatever. So, but to know that inside of me were planted these seeds to say, you know what? We're going to be consistent for God. We're going to be consistent. We're going to be respectful of what he did for us. We're going to honor him not just on Sundays, but we're going to honor him in private. We're going to honor him in our house. So I had the luxury, the privilege. Holly had the luxury, the privilege of growing up in a home in an atmosphere that honored God. But that doesn't mean that my kids will automatically know that. Are you with me today, church? Come on, somebody. Say with me. It means that I am responsible for teaching them these things. Amen? So if you're a torchbearer and you have this torch... You have got to be looking, who am I going to pass this to? Because this flame can't go out. It's too important. The world needs to know what this is about. The world needs this light. It can't die with me. I can't take this stuff to the grave. I've got to give this stuff away. Look at your neighbor and say, give it away. Look at your other neighbor and say, give it away. We got to be willing to give the gospel away to someone who's ready to receive it and say, I'm not going to run just as hard as my parents did. I'm going to run harder and I'm going to run faster and I am going to outpace them. I want Harrison, I want Roxy, when the day that I decide, the day that I leave this earth and I pass this torch to them, I want them to say, my dad ran a hard pace, my mom ran a fast pace, but I'm the next generation, I'm going to outrun them. And they were great and they did good things, but I'm going to do greater things and I'm going to be better than them. Amen. That's what I want. I want to set them up for success. Amen. I don't want to hand them a flame that's kind of going out where you, you got to blow on it or relight it. I want to hand them a hot fire torch that's burning. And even to my deathbed, I want to, I want to run a race so hard that this torch, the minute I hand it to them, if they don't take off, it's going to burn them. Amen. We should all be like that. The gospel is something that should be shared. How dare we as Christians come into the house of God and hoard his word and keep it to ourselves. Jesus didn't die so you could, it would die with you. He died so that everyone would know what he did for them. Give God a praise. <laughs> to me, it's a stewardship issue. If you want I'm not going to read out of it, but just for your reference, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the, the talent, the parable of talents. And talents was actually a coin. It was a, a monetary emblem. And Jesus talks about the parable of talents. And in Matthew chapter 25, he's telling his disciples, and he says, the kingdom of God is like this, right? 
Because Jesus talks a lot in parables. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a, it's like a man, it's like a master. When he, when he was going to leave, he's called his, his stewards unto him. He called his workers unto him. To one, he gave five talents. To two, he gave two talents. To one, he gave one talent. And he says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to come back, but I'm going to go away. So the Bible says that he left. The one that had five talents went out and made five more. The one that had, and so on and so on. The one that had one talent, the Bible says that he buried it in the ground. And so when the master came back, he called everybody to him. He says, what'd you do with my money? Lord, I doubled it. Lord, I doubled it. When he got to the one that had one talent, he says, well, you know what? I didn't really do anything with it because I knew who you were and what kind of master you were. So I took what you gave me and I just buried it. And the Bible says something very weird here, something that you and I might not understand. Because remember, go back to the beginning. Jesus calls his disciples to him, and he says the kingdom of God is like this. He's not talking to a great crowd. He's talking to 12 men. And he says the kingdom of God is like this. What I'm giving to you, if you go and bury it somewhere, I'm going to say to you, you are a wicked and lazy person. Depart from me and take what he has and give it to the one that has five. Are you with me today, church? Look at your neighbor and say, it's a stewardship issue. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's a heart issue. It's an issue. It's a matter of the heart is what this is about. It's not an, I don't even know so much it's an obedience issue as it is an issue with the heart. Because I don't know about you. God has been so great to me. Jesus has been so good to me. I can't help but talk about him. And you sit there and they say, well, Pastor Matt, you're a pastor. It's your job. No, 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 no. That's not my job. It is my right. It was given to me. And it's such an amazing gift. I want everyone. It is out on our wall out there. We believe that Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to us. And we want others to know him as we do. Amen? It's a stewardship issue. It's a stewardship issue. It's an issue of the heart. Paul goes on to talk about He says, you know what? We're not an obstacle for anyone. We've guarded our ministry. We've guarded the way we've lived. We've guarded the way we've talked and the way we've written so that we're not an obstacle for anyone. So my question to you today is, are you an obstacle or are you an opening? Like when people come to you, is it a hurdle that they have to get over to find Jesus? Or is it a wide open door to Jesus? So we've got to be careful that we don't live in such a way that the world looks at us and they say, where is Jesus and all of that? Are you with me today, church? Hear my heart. I love you, but the truth is the truth. Amen. Can I throw it at you? Will you catch it? He says, don't be an obstacle for someone. Meaning if someone is trying to find Christ, they may not know who Jesus is. They might not be able to say his name. They may not know the history of Christ and the cross and Easter and all of those things. We can't take for granted that the America that we live in is not the America that we lived in 10 or 20 years ago. It, It has, the fabric has changed. And so for us just to assume that everyone in America knows about Christ is a a lie from the enemy. So he says, be careful that you live in such a way that is an obstacle for people. So that when someone wants to find the truth and they want to find the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can't because you're an obstacle. You're actually in their way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an obstacle. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be an obstacle. (laughs) Amen. But be an opening. Look at your other neighbor and say, be an opening. Amen. Be a door. Amen. I want to start wrapping up with this. Paul goes on to write, if 
the end of his scripture. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, let's start with verse 11. He says, we have spoken freely to you. Our, our heart is wide open. Say wide open. He says, our heart is wide open. We've spoken freely to you. Meaning, I've shared with you everything that's on my heart. Everything that is there, I've shared with you. Nothing has been hidden. Nothing's been kept from you. I've laid it all before you. He says, but you are, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. He says, you are restricted. You are the ones who have placed boundaries on your affection for us. He says, it wasn't me, but it was you. Can I give you a weird term? Those that are sleeping will catch this. It'll wake them up. It's almost as like if Paul was saying, you're spiritually constipated. Amen? That's right. And if it's on the podcast, you can listen to it again. Spiritually constipated. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, you're an obstacle. You're obstinate. You're, you're like a donkey. You're stubborn. You're putting your heels in the ground. You're saying, God, you're going to have to move in spite of me. Really? Is that really what we want to say? Move in spite of me? I want to say, God, can I move with you? Let me go where you're going. And not in spite of me. Don't have to go around me. I don't want to be that type of believer, that type of Christ follower. God, you've got to go around me to do your miracle. But God, work through me to do your miracle. Let me be a part of it. Amen. And he says, but you're the ones that are restricted in your affections. It's not, I haven't restricted you, but you've restricted yourself with your affections. Have you guys ever seen this show? I think it's on a... What, what show? What channel does Cake Boss come on? Is it TLC? Harrison, by the way, loves Cake Boss. It's funny, but he loves Cake Boss. All our cake makers in the house, our sons, that's like in love with Cake Boss. Anyway, but after the recording of Cake Boss, it usually records like five minutes of the next show. And I was in the kitchen the other day, and he's. I hear it playing, and then I hear this like everything. The tone changes. You know the the whole. Uh, the words that people are using on the screen change. Like, what? What are you watching, dude? And it was hoarding, a buried alive. You guys seen this show? Okay, so I'm gonna have some fun with this. So if you're in here today and you're actually a hoarder, please. No, I'm not. I don't know that, but we're gonna have some fun with this today. And so I was like, what is this? Let's keep this playing, man. Let's watch this. And uh, it was these episodes of these people that are hoarding like newspapers and trash and just bizarre stuff, like. Nothing of value, nothing of value, not, not keeping anything of value, just, but just simple garbage, just newspapers and magazines and, I mean, just piled high. And, and uh, this one place, the city comes along and they're telling this woman, saying, listen, you, this is unsanitary, it's unhealthy, you know, you've got to clean this up or something's going to be done. And she's like, you know, you're just going to have to kick me out of my house, you have to arrest me, you know, if you're going to do all this. And so it's about this, the one that I watch is about this woman putting up a fight. As I'm watching this, Holy Spirit says, are you really watching? And I was like, what? Holy Spirit, what? I'm just trying to watch hoarding, you know, buried alive. He's just like, no, no, keep watching and listen. So I stopped listening with my ears here, and I really started listening with my heart. And as I'm listening and I'm watching, Holy Spirit begins to tell me, he says, you've been hoarding too. I says, God, what have I been hoarding? What? I don't understand. Like, if you know me, Holly's laughing because it's true. I don't get attached to anything. And my family knows if it's not nailed down, there's a good chance it could be thrown away. And I've been caught throwing some of her stuff away before. It's a gospel truth. I'm telling on myself. I threw a pair of rain boots one time, and I will never live that down. I was like, it never rains around here. Why do we have rain boots? You know, like in the trash. 
or I'll give it away. She's like, where is it? I was like, honey, that's at Goodwill. Like, it's gone. It is somebody else's right now. And so I, I'm the type of guy, I just don't get attached to any. Is anybody else like that? Or am I alone? Am I on an island? All right, thank you, thank you. Um, but I just don't get attached hardly to anything. I just don't. Like, everything is fair game in my house. And if it's not nailed down, there's a good chance that it'll last about a year. And then it's, I'm just like, let's clean house. Let's just get rid of everything. But that's just me. And so as I'm watching this, Holy Spirit begins to tell me, it's like, you know what? You're hoarding. You're hoarding things that, that shouldn't be in your life. And it's stacking up all around you. And he says, you know, God has called us the first, cam- first commandment is to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And in John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Think about that. Steal, kill, destroy. And I'm to love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. He's come to steal, and I'm to love the Lord with all my heart. It's as if the enemy is looking to steal my emotions. He says, the enemy has come to kill, and I'm to love the Lord, the, the God, with all my heart and my soul. It's as if the enemy is trying to kill my soul and pull me to hell. He says, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The third thing. And he says, to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, and our mind. But how many people in just America today have mental health issues? And the enemy has come to this. Are you seeing? It's, Jesus doesn't, God's word is not coincidence that every dot always connects. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, I'm calling you to love, for you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The definition of hoarding is, listen to this. Hoarding means a supply or accumulation that is hidden or carefully guarded for preservation. It says a supply or accumulation that is hidden or carefully guarded for preservation. Let's leave that up for there for a second. Now think about this. Let me ask you this question. Are you emotionally hoarding right now? If you're in a marriage today and you're emotionally hoarding, it's going to destroy your marriage. It will kill your home. It will destroy you and it will wreck you. Can I tell you that marriage doesn't fix problems? And all the married people said, amen. It just means that if you had problems before you got married, you just brought it right into your marriage. So when I do marriage counseling, you know what I tell people is, you better get it done right here. Let's go to the altar. Let's get it all out right here. Get it done with. Because the last thing you need is one broke person and another broke person coming together, making two broke people. Hurt people, hurt people. Whole people, heal people. Amen? It's the facts of life. Garbage in, garbage out. So if we are emotionally hoarding today, and God is saying, I am calling you to love me with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, I cannot do that if there are things that I've allowed to accumulate in my life, and I'm preserving as if my life depended on it. And as I'm watching this episode, this woman literally is having an emotional breakdown because people are grabbing magazines and newspaper and garbage. And those of us that don't know what that's like, we're looking at that. And we're saying, it's so bizarre. That's so weird. Like, why would she cry and throw a fit and literally have a breakdown because someone is cleaning out of her house? But let's answer the real question, church, that so many of us are like that. We'll sit in church. We'll hear the word of God. And we won't respond to the preaching of the word of God. But we'll will walk out the exact same way we came in. And it's just as bizarre. It is. It's as if God says, you know what? Today I want to heal you. I want you to leave whole and perfect and in harmony and in balance. And we're saying, you know what? I like all this stuff. I'm just going to leave the same way I came in. 
It feels so great to have all of this weight on my shoulders. Doesn't that sound bizarre and crazy? Yes, it does. If you're saying no, then you're bizarre and crazy. It should sound weird to us. But if we're not careful, church, what we'll do with our emotional baggage, what we'll do with all this stuff is we'll hoard it. And it's the supply or accumulation of things that are hidden carefully and guarded. And that's what we do with sin. That's what we do with emotional baggage. We hide it and we carefully guard it. And the minute that Holy Spirit reaches and taps us on our shoulder or speaks into our heart, we begin to freak out. We go crazy because God is trying to heal us. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to carry that stuff alone. He wants you to walk out of here today exactly the same way that you came in. But what if you turn the tables on him today? What if he said, you know what, today is going to be different. On November the 1st, 2015, I'm not waiting for January to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to do something about it today. Amen? And I'm going to respond to the preaching. I'm going to respond to the Word of God. I'm going to respond to the call of God today. And if I've been emotionally hoarding, if things are, there are things that are stacking up around my heart, my soul, and my mind, today I'm going to empty that out. I'm going to allow the presence of the Lord to invade my heart, my soul, and my mind today, and I'm going to empty it out before the Lord. Amen. Stand your feet all across this place. I'm going to ask all our prayer partners to join me at the front, our staff. Um, all our elders as they come forward today. If you're guests with us for the first time today, we take an opportunity every Sunday morning. We always carve this time out to bookend what God has done today. And I told you today, the challenge is up to you. I've, as Paul said, I've shared everything that's on my heart. I've given you the full meal deal here. Now it's up to you to respond. You have two options today. If you're emotionally hoarding, you're spiritually hoarding, and there's things that you don't want, can we put that definition back up, please, one more time of hoarding? You know, it's stuff that you're secretly uh, hiding and you're accumulating and you're carefully guarding for preservation as if your life depended on it. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to continue to do that. But I believe that God has a better way forward for you. I know he does. And he loves you enough for you to hear this word today. He loves you enough to come to you and say, son or daughter, I love you and I want to take that stuff from you. But you've got to give him permission. He's not going to force his way in. He's a gentleman. You've got to say, Lord, I give you an opportunity. Now, absolutely, can God do that where you sit? Of course he can. But I believe that God responds to faith. I believe that God responds to action. Yeah, Peter walked on the water and Peter sank, but Peter is the only disciple that can ever say, I walked on water. Because he was willing to get out of the familiar, give God a praise. Because he was willing to get out of the familiar and to do something that no one else was willing to do. So I'm asking you today, if you've been spiritually hoarding, if you've been spiritually guarding or emotionally hoarding, you've been carefully hiding things and, and accumulating things, what would it look like today if you got from out, out from under your seat? You walked right from where you are. You found someone up here. You found a place to pray. You, As a couple, you came as a, as a single person or grandparent or fill in the blank, whoever you are, whatever you feel like your title is. And you said, God, there are things that I've been keeping from you, and I want you to clean house today. I don't want to 
hoard this stuff anymore. It's killing me. It's destroying me. It's robbing from me, and I want to give it to you today. So as we sing and as we play, this is your opportunity to respond. Don't sit. Don't wait. Do exactly opposite of what the enemy wants you to do. Let's put a loss in his column today and put a win in God's column today. Amen? As we sing and as we play, I want you to find a place to pray today. Find a place to not negotiate with God. It's not a negotiation, but to surrender to him.